0: Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you can join us. We're starting a brand new series going through the book of Mark. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. We're just in a moment right now. We're beginning a brand new series going through the gospel of Mark. And my prayer is that by the end of this, you're gonna you'll be able to see and understand what that word gospel truly means. And uh, I'm just super excited to go through this all about the lives and the life of Jesus. So Mark chapter 1, I just want to read this as we get going. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven and it said, you are my son, whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. At once, someone shout at once, the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. God, speak to our spirits this morning, I pray. In your name, amen. I want to call our message this morning. The difference is in the details. You guys can be seated. Can we guys give a round of applause for the worship team? The difference is in the details. Hey, so glad to see each and every one of you guys here this morning. Church Online, honored that you guys could be here. Podcast, maybe you're driving, maybe you're working out. Hey, I'm so glad you're here too. Uh, We love every single person Uh, And I'm excited, as I said, we're beginning a brand new series. So uh, for those of you guys that do not know, uh, our church has an amazing group of young adults. So many great young adults in our church. And uh, we have actually a young adult group, uh, and they meet at the church uh, Sunday nights. And so if you're a young adult looking for a place to hang, not doing drugs, come (laughs) Come to to young adults. Now, um, although uh, I could technically... Go to young adults because I am a young adult. Uh, I do not attend young adults. Uh, And so Sydney uh, is in charge of young adults. And so I kind of get the lowdown, I get the scoop from Sid. And so this last week, uh, Sid, who just she was singing up here, Break Down the Walls. Everyone, you can give Sid a round of applause. So, Sid is in charge of the young adult group, so I'm asking her um, how how the group went. Now, when I asked her that, Roger, her dad, was also there, and Roger also goes to our church. He's right here uh, in the front row. And uh, so, I I asked Sid. I said, Sid, how, how do young adults go? And she was like, oh, Harrison, like, it was so good. Like, just so many people there. And, and we were breaking down walls. And, and we were talking about relationships. And people were connecting. And it was amazing. And she just went on. And she was just like, if you guys know Sid, Sid does not spare details. And it was just like, it was awesome. And because I'm not there, right? And so she's my eyes, she's my ears, and so everything, like I'm just soaking it up. I'm like, yes, I'm so happy that Young Adults is going great. So Sid finishes up. She's like, yeah, Young Adults was awesome. It was good. Done. Roger, her dad, then speaks up. And he says, Sid, he said, all Harrison really wanted to know was if it was good (laughs) or bad. Like, that's it. That's all he wanted to know. And so what he was insinuating was that Sid shared more details than was needed. But I was like, no, I love the details. And so I've realized something that when it comes to telling stories, every single person has a different way for which they tell stories. And generally speaking, the way that people tell stories is they will only share the details that they deem to be the most important. Like, have you guys ever experienced, um, and maybe it's like a couple or a friend group, and you guys kind of have that one story that like just you know, but there's a way that only one person can tell that story in your group. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And you tell the story, and it's like, oh, no, 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 hold on, no. you tell it. Right. Like, you, I like, I like the way that you tell it, because you have, you have the details. You, you have the way, and have you guys ever had this where someone tells the whole story, like every part, and it's like, no, 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 let me tell it. You guys ever experienced that? And then they retell the story and it's like literally the exact same except for maybe one detail. Like the difference when it comes to stories is always in the details. And what I've realized when it comes to stories, people will always share what they think is the most important thing. The difference is in the details. I'm super excited. As I said, we're going uh, beginning a brand new series through the gospel of Mark. The Book of Mark, and our series is literally just called The Gospel of Mark. If you guys have been with our church, you know that at times uh, we'll do thematic things. We'll, we'll have, you know, cool titles like Relationship Reboot. Uh, this is just called The Gospel of Mark. Kelsey, who does social media, she was like, hey, what's this series about? And I was like, we're going through the Book of Mark. That's it. That's the blurb. That's the one. And uh, so what, what, I, what I told the first service is I'm so excited for this series because it could be four weeks or it could be 44 weeks. We'll just uh, we'll see how it goes, and it's really going to depend how much of the detail I want to get into uh, in this series. But this word, the gospel of Mark. Now, I could have called this the book of Mark, but uh, in Christian circles and really throughout church history, it's been known as the gospel of Mark. Now, many people have perhaps heard this word gospel, if you're new to church, maybe you've never heard gospel. And so you don't know what it means. But I would argue that even people in church, people that have been here for a long time, they hear it, but they don't necessarily know it. Because like, as people, we kind of have this thing. You guys know where it's like, we don't want to come across as being dumb. So we kind of pretend like we know it. Thank you, Connor. So it's like, yeah, no, I know what gospel means. Been in church my whole life. I was baptized when I was three. Of course I know what the gospel is. Preach the gospel, live the gospel, love the gospel. But the truth is, there's a difference between hearing something and knowing something. And even more so, knowing something and understanding something. And so in this series, what I want to do is I want to show you what the gospel is. And I want to show you why we're calling this series, The Gospel of Mark. Now, can I, can I teach for a second? Do I have your permission? So gospel, um, our, our English word, it comes from the Greek word that means, that is euangelion. Fancy, right? Uh, literally, it means, translate, it's good news. Good news. This is this is good news. So gospel literally means good news. And so what we have in our Bible is we don't just have the gospel of Mark. We have four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so literally every single one we call the gospel of Matthew, gospel of Mark. So literally what we are saying is the good news according to Matthew. The good news according to Mark. Is everyone following? So the gospel literally means good news. And so each of these four gospels are telling the story of Jesus. And in a sense, they're all trying to tell the good news. Now, some people may be wondering, well, what's the purpose of four gospels? Like, couldn't they just have one story, get together, make one long one? Well, the beauty of the Gospels is that they're all told from different perspectives, and they have different eyewitnesses. And although astute readers might realize, like Matthew, Mark, um, and Luke, known as the synoptic Gospels, because they're just seen together, they're kind of similar. They're really similar. John's a little bit different, but still, people are like, what's the point of having four books, four Gospels? Well, the difference in every Gospel is in the details, The difference is in the details because we have different perspectives telling the same story and so we get different things. Now for a lot of people, uh, critical scholars, they'll say, well, this is how we know the New Testament is made up because the four Gospels don't all say the same thing. But apologists will tell you if the Gospels all said the same thing, that would be greater proof that they were made up because they would say the exact same thing. And the truth is no one tells the story the same twice. And so the Gospels give us different perspectives. Now for this series, I'm giving us the overview. I want to go through Mark's perspective specifically. Now Mark's Gospel is literally the shortest of the four. It's actually about half as long as the rest. And so it doesn't have a whole lot of details. But what I think it lacks in details, it makes up for in substance, And so there's so much in there if you just go below the surface, beneath the surface. And one of the reasons I want to go through, Mark, is because it's so short, it actually gives you guys the opportunity to get this. I know it's so crazy. You could actually read this on your own. You're like, the Bible leaves church? It's the shortest of the four. And so, hey, I encourage you, as we go through this series, read along. So I'm not going to, and I I said it kind of jokingly, I'm not going to go through every single verse. You're going to see it today. I'm skipping some verses. So I encourage you, go home and read the whole gospel. It's short. Read it in a couple weeks, maybe a month. But that's what we're going to do in this series. And uh, I want to just kind of go through, and I want to see just really what this gospel is all about. So is there anyone ready this morning? All right, let's do this. So let's start at the very beginning. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So this Greek word I just taught you, it shows up right here. It's literally saying, this is the beginning of the ouangalion of Jesus the Messiah. You guys want more Greek? Or one's good enough? The Son of God. So literally, Mark is, and if you guys, how many guys remember high school English? Some of you guys are like, I didn't make it. Um, Right here, Mark is giving us what we call the thesis statement. He's letting us know what the whole thing is about. Everything to follow is going to follow one specific theme. What is it? He says, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the good news about Jesus who is Savior. Everything that follows is going to follow that pattern. Now, here's the question I want to ask. Because this is the story that we're reading when it comes to Mark. The story of who Jesus is. Now, whatever your history in church, be it a little or a lot, every single one of us have a story we tell when it comes to Jesus. Who he is. And for some of us, maybe it's really in-depth. For others, it's like, I don't even think that person's real. Every single one of us have a story. Now, what happens a lot of times, especially people in church, is because they're in church, you kind of get puffed up a little bit, right? I've been in church my whole life. I know the story. (laughs) I know the the good news. But the question I want to ask, because Mark here gives us a thesis statement, and if you read all the Gospels, the thesis statement is the same. But the question I want to ask is the story that we tell when it comes to who Jesus is, does it match the story that the Scriptures give us? You see, every single one of us, as I said, has a story that we tell. The question is, what is our story? So I want to show you guys a quick clip because in this, uh, this is from the Joe Rogan podcast, no copyright infringement intended, YouTube. But in this podcast, there's an interview and Joe Rogan is asking Matthew McConaughey about his faith because he's a Christian. And Matthew, you're gonna see, tells a story about, and he really describes his version of Christianity. So I want us to see this and take a couple things from it. So roll that clip. Um, because they wanna know what are your literal beliefs? Like, are are you taking the Bible at its literal word or do you use it as some sort of a guidebook of the experiences of these people that lived thousands of years ago that have been translated from multiple different languages back to English?
1: Um, I, for myself, I don't know what to do in my daily life with the burning bush. I don't know what to do with that. Um, I do know what to do with love your neighbor like yourself i do know what to do with matthew six twenty two. 22 if i be single that whole body will be full of light i do know what to do with some proverbs that i can take into daily practice and go oh i felt my life i felt improvement i felt success in my relationships and my relationship with the day with my career by following that um, by treating others how I wanted to be treated, the golden rule. So I, I take the practical stuff myself um, and try to try to utilize it, and, and pick out what can work for me.
0: When you say when you say you don't know what to do with the burning bush, like what do you, what do you mean by that?
1: I don't know what to do on a daily basis with the teaching of, um, and and then he you know and then he 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 showed up as a, a, a as a burning bush or the magic tricks, and I don't know what to do with. And Jesus healed everyone that he, and he couldn't walk and now he touched me and he can walk. I don't know what to do with that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I don't I don't know how to take that into my life and go, Oh, there's something useful and practical and healthy for you, Matthew, that you can practice there. So the magic um, that leans in towards you know what we would call now more fantasy.
0: Thank you, Matthew, for coming to church today. <laughs> yeah, you can give him a round of applause. <clears throat> Um, they recorded that specially for us, so we're grateful. Um, but I don't know if you guys heard that or caught the gist of what he's saying. But 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 Joe Rogan was asking him like, what what, what is your faith? And so for Matthew McConaughey, he said, man, my faith is is practical, right? He's like, I, I don't know what to do with certain like miracle stuff or kind of like the divine stuff, and that's fine. He's like, but like there's the practical stuff I take. Love thy neighbor. Uh, guard your eyes, for it's the lamp to your body. Like I, he's like that stuff is good. Like, that's the good stuff. That's, and so his version of Christianity really is kind of this, this way, this dogma that teaches you how to live and to treat people better, right? And for a lot of people, when it comes to Christianity, if you were to ask them, they would actually say something similar. Now, maybe you're like, no, I believe in miracles. That's fine. But I, I would wager to guess a lot of people have this idea, generally speaking, that Jesus came to teach me how to live better and treat others better. Now, here's the question I want to ask with that world belief that I think a lot of us have and and the belief that Matthew McConaughey has. The question I want to ask is, does that jive with Mark chapter one, verse one? What did Mark chapter one, verse one said? It says, this is the good news about Jesus. Now, we we see in this story, he's asking about his faith in, in, in the interview. But the question I want to ask is from that, And maybe from the story that you tell in your life, do we spout out good news or is it something different? Is it good news or or do we live in a way where it's just good advice? You see, I think we all know what good news is, right? You guys ever shared good news before? Like I remember we we have twin girls um, and when we found out that they were twins, uh, I told Christy, my wife, I said, don't tell anyone. I said, this is going to be the surprise of a lifetime. And so we literally surprised our family. There's a video of it you can watch. Um, And so we surprised my family and her family in BC. So two different times. And both times when we shared the news, it was the same both times. People were jumping up and down. People Like literally, I haven't seen my mom jump like that ever. I didn't know she had the hops. Like, like my, my dad's face, literally, like his jaw, I, I didn't know it could open that wide. I was like, you're going to get lockjaw. Like, like, it was just crazy. Christy's mom was like crying profusely, like, what's going on? Because why? It was good news. Right? We all know immediately what good news is. Mark is saying the gospel, the story of Jesus is Good news. Let me ask you something. Imagine I came, like I ran to your house, like I'm out of breath, like I'm knocking on the door. Like, let me in, just let me in. I, ha- I have good news. Love your neighbor as yourself. Guard your eyes for, for it's the lamp to your body. Just treat other people well. Guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. Now, if you didn't catch it, that's all biblical stuff. But the question I want to ask, is that good news or is that good advice? It's advice. It's advice. And I wonder how many people inside of the church have this form of Christianity where all you're telling people, all they know about you is advice. It's what I do, it's how I live. I wonder if the picture outside, I don't wonder, I know. The picture outside of church is that people in church, they just follow a bunch of rules and try to live better. Right. I got my hair cut yesterday. Thank you so much for noticing. Um, a <laughs> little bit of a trim, a little bit too much taken off. Different, <laughs> different sermon for another time. But um, I, I was talking to my, my, my hairdresser and I didn't tell her I was a pastor. I didn't want her to stop cutting my hair. Um, <laughs> But she was telling me uh, that she, she went to a Catholic high school, and she said uh, that the high school was really good, though, because uh, they didn't really even talk about religion. They didn't stuff it down my throat. Now, I took from that, she's not a Christian, but what I also took from that is the perception that she has about Christianity. What is it? Well, there are a bunch of people that just want to tell me how to live. Mark chapter 1 says, this is the good news, not the good advice. Jesus came to bring good news and he had some good advice along the way, but if we ever switch up the news with the advice, we'll actually miss the whole story. You know what that means? A lot of times the difference is just in the details. It's in the details. Let me tell you something. I'll tell you how you know if you're living in the gospel, have experienced the gospel. Romans chapter one says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation. Good news has power. Listen, good advice can maybe help you live a little bit better, but good news changes everything. That's why we sing, Tear Down the Walls, because Jesus wants to change everything. And so, what I want to do in this series is I want us to understand the gospel. My hope and my prayer is that no one leaves this place without understanding the good news. If all you leave here is with good advice, I have failed. And I've done a disservice to Mark because Mark wrote about good news, not good advice. And so I'm gonna go through some more stuff in Mark chapter one, and I'm gonna show you something really important because what this means is every single time we read the gospels, but even bigger than this, every single time we read scriptures, if we go to the Bible looking for advice, we're reading it wrong. It's not there to give you advice, it's there to give you news, to let you know something, to tell you something, that when Jesus came, something has fundamentally shifted forever. And we're going to see that in this series, and we're going to see it today. And so, again, is anyone ready to go? So Mark chapter 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 9. I'll give you guys a little context to what's happening. This dude named John the Baptist comes on the scene. And John the Baptist is out baptizing people, hence the name John the Baptist. The Bible's so simple, don't believe what you've heard. And so what happens is he's baptizing all of these people, and then Jesus comes on the scene. And in Mark's gospel, this is the very first time we see Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 9, it says this. It says, at the time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, what I already said is that Mark's gospel is the shortest, and so he's scant on details. Like, he's got places to be, people to see. And so the first thing all of a sudden we see here is that Jesus is getting baptized by John in the Jordan. What we learned in, John chapter, or in Mark chapter one, verse one, was that Jesus is God, the son of God. And so I don't know about you, but a question immediately arises within me. If Jesus is God, why does Jesus need to be baptized? Because baptism, in a sense, has many symbols. It's the symbol to follow Jesus. But if Jesus is Jesus, why is he getting baptized to follow himself? It's funny because in 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 the in, um, in, in Matthew's Gospel, he gives a little more details, and he says that even John was a little bit surprised when Jesus was like, "Baptize me," because then John's like, "Yo, like I me baptize you." He's like, "You baptize me," like I've been baptized me again. Like dunk me, bro. You dunk on me. I don't want to. I don't want to baptize you. Like he know he he knew who Jesus was. So the question is, why did Jesus get baptized? Well, Mark's trying to show us something here. You see, one of the principal elements of Jesus is that Jesus, when he came to earth, he experienced earth as a human. A fundamental tenet of Christian theology is that Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And so what that means is he experiences and he did the things that we as people do. And so Jesus, when he gets baptized, why is he doing this? He is doing this to be identified with the people. This is really important. One of the first things that Mark wants us to know about Jesus is that he identifies with the people. He is one of them. He is one of us. He's not some crazy God, man. He identifies with the people, and so he gets baptized. Now, this is really important. Let 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 me tell you something about baptism. Baptism in this story precedes mission, meaning that Jesus doesn't actually go out and do anything until he's baptized. It's the first thing that he does. When Jesus commissions the disciples, he says, go to the whole world and baptize people. Then he says, teach them and preach and all these things. But I I want us to understand this. Baptism is one of the first things that we do. A lot of people have this idea that baptism is the last thing I'll do. Like, you know what? Like once I have my life together, once, like I have 13 sins right now, Harrison. Once I get it down to seven sins, like that's, that's when I'll get in the water. (laughs) Like that's when I'll do it. Jesus is the first thing that he does why because he's setting the example for us Baptism simply what it is is that it's a declaration to say god I am yours I'm following you I may not have it all together but I want to be with you forever and so listen if you're in this room and you haven't been baptized and you're saying thinking to yourself I have to get my life together then I'll get baptized guess what start first then get your life together get baptized first everything else comes second so stop waiting stop debating Jesus sets the precedence. And so Jesus is modeling stuff to us here. Baptism precedes mission, but he's identifying with us. John baptized Jesus because he's, man, something shifts here though. Verse 10, it says, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And so literally he gets baptized and he comes out. And as he comes out, there's like this dove that the Bible says is the Holy Spirit. And it literally comes upon Jesus. Now I've baptized a lot of people and I've seen a lot of baptisms. I've never seen this. And I definitely haven't seen verse 11. It says, and a voice came from heaven that said, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. And so right here we see a couple of things. Number one, this is the first time we see all the Trinity together in the same place. We've got Jesus, Holy Spirit, God all together. But more than this, there's something really important going on. You see, if Jesus gets baptized in order to identify with man, this moment after his baptism, God wants to identify to the people who Jesus is. Did you get that? God wants to identify to the people who Jesus is. You see, because Jesus lived like a man, it's really easy to believe that he was just a man most people, and I'd say every credible scholar will let you know that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person. But for a lot of people, they're like, well, he was just a real person. What Mark is saying is saying when Jesus confirmed him, he's letting him know that although he identifies with us, he's also something more. He is God. The spirit descended on him. You are my son with whom I am well pleased. Now you need to understand what's happening here. God is confirming who Jesus is. Now, that's very literal for Jesus, but for us, baptism also is a way of confirmation. Why do we get baptized? It's a confirmation of the decision that we've made. People say, well, if I love God, why does it matter? It's just a confirmation. It's a public way to say, Jesus, I'm following you. Now, I want us to keep this in mind because it's an entrance sign, right? Like Jesus is, he's, he's, with God says, you are well pleased. I'm your son. I love you. I love you. So he's confirmed. Things are going good. Like, this is a high point. I can't imagine what he was feeling when the spirit came on him. Look what it says next. Mark says, in his own way, at once, immediately, the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. The spirit sent him out into the wilderness, so we have this melodious moment, right? The dove's coming down. Spirit of God, like the voice from heaven, Duh. But there, at once, as soon as he's confirmed, the Bible says that he was sent into the wilderness. Not just that he was sent, but that the Spirit sent him. The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit sent him. So the same Spirit... That came upon him now leads him into the wilderness. What happens in the wilderness? Is it says at once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Being tempted by Satan. Now this seems kind of odd because God has just confirmed him. Right? You're confirmed. You're mine. I love you. And then all of a sudden he's being tempted so what's happening here, I want to see the pattern, is we go right from confirmation to temptation. From confirmation to temptation. Why would the Spirit lead him to temptation? You see, I think the reason it went like this is because what God was trying to do, what Jesus was showing us, is this is often the way that things go. As soon as Jesus confirms us, as soon as we are a part of his family, as soon as affirmation comes, how would I say it like this? Affirmation oftentimes <laughs> It's affliction that follows. Confirmation to temptation. You're like, Harrison, what does that look like? It's that moment, and maybe you've had it in this building, maybe you've had it somewhere else, where you feel Jesus like never before. And it's like, oh my gosh, I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. I understand you. Like, it just just makes sense. I get it. I'm confirmed. But then right after that, there's an event that happens in your life. And something goes down. And all of a sudden, the affirmation turns to affliction. For some of us, it's, like it's, it's literally maybe like, I got baptized, I gave my life to Jesus, I made a decision, I'm following him, but right after that, I lost my job. Like, I was I was Confirmed. And if I'm confirmed, Jesus like, why, why am I going through what I'm going through? Maybe for some of us, it's like, man, Jesus spoke so, so, so clearly into my spirit. I'm going to follow him. But the moment that you leave that place, all of a sudden you leave and maybe you're single. And all of a sudden you find that person. It's a guy or a girl and they look really good and they sound really good. And I don't want to say what else they're really good. But then all of a sudden, like, although they may look good, they're not necessarily good for you. And suddenly you've been confirmed, but now you're in this terrible relationship. And now suddenly you find yourself going further and further away from God. You see, I think the reason that the Spirit sent Jesus to the wilderness is because Jesus was about to experience the plight that most of us experience. Is there anyone in this room I'm speaking to who went from confirmation to temptation? I'm trying to follow Jesus. I chose to follow him, but now my life's fallen apart. And so Jesus is in the wilderness and the devil is there. Now some people might ask themselves, why does the devil come into our lives? Why would the devil tempt us? Why would this affliction come on us? I think the answer is really simple. Because God has affirmed us as sons and daughters of heirs to the kingdom of God. And so the devil wants to do whatever he can to make sure that you don't live in that purpose, to make sure that you don't experience that reality. to to, to get this, to make sure that you never live in the freedom that God has for you. And so he keeps us entrapped in things, stuck in things, stuck in cycles, patterns. Jesus is about to meet the same Satan, the same tempter that many of us meet. Now for a lot of us, if you haven't kind of saw by now, I'm setting up this picture. We have God, Jesus, and we have the devil in the wilderness, Like this is setting up to be like the battle royale. Like this is epic. We have good. We have have good in one eye. We got evil over here. Like I'm looking, like this is like Avengers Infinity War. Like it's all being set up. Like I'm ready for the battle of a lifetime. Like let's just hear it. Let's hear what happened. He was in the wilderness 40 days, verse 12, 13, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Full stop. That's it. Now, I don't know about you guys, but the way this is set up, I, I want some more details. Like, he's in the Like, this is the battle of a lifetime, and you're not giving me anything. Like, what's going on? Now, I didn't mention this, but, but, but most scholars will let you know, and church history lets us know that Mark wrote this gospel, his gospel, mainly from the accounts of Peter, who was one of the disciples of Jesus. Now, one of the main characteristics of Peter is that Peter was a man. And as you guys may or may not know, know, men a lot of times are a lot worse at giving details than women. No one agrees. (laughs) I I think women are just better at giving details. I don't know if that's sexist. Maybe. I told first service, you can try to cancel me, but it doesn't really matter because Jesus has already affirmed me. So you can't cancel what Jesus has called. Come on, somebody. Seriously, don't cancel me. <laughs> but, but, but Mark's gospel is kind of, I think, I really see that, that, that manly perspective, right? Where it's like, well, there's a main point. We don't need to worry about other stuff. But Luke's gospel, now what scholars let us know is that Luke's gospel kind of had a little more female influence, right? Like Mary, maybe Mary and Martha helped fill in some details. And so Luke's gospel, it, it has a little more details. It lets us know that Jesus, not temptations, but he didn't eat for 40 days. It, it actually lets us know a little bit more. Like it lets us know three temptations. It lets us know that the, that the devil tempted him with, with, with p- appetite. Like, hey, bro, like if you're hungry, just turn this rock into bread. And that's the temptation a lot of us go through, It's just our appetite, right? He, he tempts him with power, ultimate power. He tempts him with approval. How many of you guys have fallen into that temptation before? I just want people to approve of me. I just want to be... Approved. Listen, a lot of times we, we post things and we do things because we think it gives us power. But let's be honest, we're doing it for approval, not power. And so it's a, it's a temptation that a lot of us go through. And so we get these temptations. But the truth is, even Luke's gospel still doesn't give us a whole lot. We know that Jesus overcame. Now, when I read that, and I see that Jesus was tempted, and the language lets us know that he was constantly and continually being tempted. For 40 days. I, I don't know about you, but I want some more details. Because, and maybe a lot of you guys, this is, this is what you're going through right now. It's like, Harrison, like I get the confirmation, but I'm in the affliction right now. Like, I'm going through things right now. Like, I'm going through hardships. I'm going through sickness. I've experienced death. I've experienced temptation, whatever it is. And like, I get, I get that Mark didn't have time. I get that Luke has a little bit more details. But like, I need to know what happened in the desert. I need to know how how Jesus defeated Satan. I need to know what he did. Give me three steps. I just, Harrison, I just, I just, I just need some, I need some advice. I just need some advice. Like, how do I, how do I overcome? What Mark lets us know is that he's not writing a book about good advice. It's about good news. And so I can't help but wonder if maybe the reason when Peter was relaying this to Mark, maybe one of the reasons that he left out the details of exactly what happened in the desert is because a lot of us would read it and we'd say, hey, that's a, hey, there, there we go. Oh, Jesus read scripture. Okay. Okay. Oh, so if I, if I memorize 14 scriptures, that's how I'll overcome temptation. Like, if I, if I, if I, just, if I just learn to focus on my brain, not my... Like, and so for a lot of us, we just we, we, we trend in that direction. What's that direction? It's the direction of religion. Now, religion is a big word and has many meanings, but the way that I'm saying it, the context that I'm saying it, it's this idea that there is something that I can do. Is this idea broken down really simply that what I do affects where I am, where I stand, who I am. You see, the pull in all of our hearts is towards religion. And the greatest enemy to the good news is religion. Now, what's really interesting is that we live in a secular culture that says it's against religion, but ironically enough, our culture, and perhaps for the first time in history, is actually more religious than even the church. What do I mean by that? We live in a culture where what you do determines your worth. We live in a culture where literally you have to tell other people how good you are and how bad they are. Well, this is what I do, and this is what you don't do. And so we post, and we post, and we post, and we're looking for approval. It's a culture that says your worth is tied directly to your net worth. If you have money, then you're important. If you have a good job, then you're important. If you're married, then you're important. And so we live in this culture that attaches our worth to our work, to what we do. We live in this religious culture. And the crazy thing about church is too oftentimes, a lot of times we say, well, the church can never mirror culture. We need to stand out. But many times the church just gets more religious. And in turn, they become more like culture. And so I can't help but wonder if what if the reason that Peter leaves out the details is because Peter does not want any people to fall into the trap of religion. I'll tell you something. If I preached this message four years ago, I would have given you guys three steps in how to overcome temptation. Read the Bible. Pray. Follow the Spirit. Let's go to potluck. <laughs> but that's just good advice. It's good advice. I encourage you to pray. (laughs) I encourage you to read your Bible, but Jesus did not come to give good advice, Mm -hmm. but good news. Now Mark, although he's missing details, what I said at the start was that a lot of times, the difference is in the details. And what that means is that we can miss things that are extremely important. They can give us the clues to what we're looking for. So Mark chapter one, again, it says at once, the spirit sent him out into the wilderness, And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. 40 days, 40 days, 40 days, 40 days. Now, if you didn't get the reference, that's okay. I'm going to fill it in for you. That's my job. Now, readers, early readers would have have caught something. 40 days is extremely significant in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament. And so when Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, that's supposed to bring our minds somewhere. And that's supposed to bring our mind back to the Old Testament. And one thing that you will see when the number 40 is brought up in the Old Testament over and over and over and over and over again, there's a constant theme. What's the theme? The theme is human failure. In the book of Genesis, there's a flood that wipes out the world. Do you know how long it rained for? 40 days. In the book of Exodus, Moses goes up and he communes with God and he gets the law and this is supposed to be this great and mighty moment where Moses has seen God face to face. You know what happened when Moses comes down? The people of Israel had built a calf and they were worshiping an idol. Forty days Moses was up there. The result after his failure. For 40 years, Israel wanders in the wilderness direction. You see, 40 time and time again is attached human failure. And so when we read this, as the story goes, we should begin to think that when he was in the wilderness for 40 days, if he's going to follow the pattern that we see in the Old Testament, he's probably going to fail. Because every single time there's some type of failure associated with 40. But what happens, and what we see, is that he was being tempted by Satan, he was with the wild animals, and the angels attended to him. So all Mark wants to know, all Mark wants to let you know is something very specific and something very important. The significance of Jesus in the wilderness, because literally translated, if you want to literally translate his thing, he's saying he was tempted, but he was good. Then the angels attended to him. So what he's trying to let you know is that for the first time, Jesus has brought a different outcome. If 40 was attached with failure in the past, in the future, it's tied to Jesus. You need to understand something. What the wilderness, what the wilderness represents, it represents what we could not do. The people of God could not do, the prophets could not do, the patriarchs could not do, no one could do what Jesus was about to do. Jesus is different than all of those things. He's different than the people. Jesus is not attached to the failures of old, he's attached to something new. And that is that he is a conqueror, he overcomes, he did what you and I could not do. So here's the point. Here's the point that Mark's trying to bring across. What's the point of this story? The point of the story is this it's not about what I can do, it's about what Jesus has done. Yes. He's breaking the chain of religion because religion is all about what you can do. But what we see over and over again, you're like, Harrison, what's the purpose of the Old Testament? Go read it. It's about failure. It's about the people not being able to stand up, the people not being able to do what they were called to do. That's religion. Jesus is bringing in something new, and he's saying, guess what? You don't need four steps. You don't need three steps. You don't need anything. You just need to know I have overcome. I've done what you could not do, what you could never do. Listen, so this culture, all about religion, all about what I can do. Well, listen, didn't you see what I posted last week, how socially aware I am? And you, what do you do? Nothing. Look at me. Church world. I don't drink. Look at you, drunker. And hey, guess what? If they call you a drunkard, they call Jesus one, too. Come on, somebody. Don't use that as an excuse, though. <laughs> oh, man. But listen, 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 listen. I really want to speak to this because culture and Christianity always have a way of overlapping each other. There's no way about it. And so if we live in this world that is so religious, that it's all about your work and what you do and that's approval, there's no way that doesn't creep into our spirituality. And far too many of us live in this way They say I just want to gain God's approval. I just want God to love me. I want God to notice me but I just, I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. What we see here is that you don't have to be good enough because Jesus is. He did what you could not do. You see, the truth is this and, and maybe you've been there, maybe you'll get there. What happens is that If you live in this way where it's all about what you do, religion or otherwise, all of us will get to a moment where we realize I cannot do it any longer. I am not good enough. What I said to my family is that if you seek to cancel other people, one day you yourself will be canceled because everyone falls short because no one is good enough. And so Jesus did what we could not do so we don't have to do what we think we need to do which is things to gain approval. And so Hebrews chapter four he says it like this. He says, we do not have a high priest speaking about Jesus who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. You wanna know what separates God from everyone else? Any other thought, any, he's a God, but he knows exactly what you're going through. He's experienced everything you've gone through, every temptation, every trial. Jesus has been there. He is just like you, but there's one difference. He did not sin. He did not fall. He did not mesh up. He did what you could not do yourself. That's the good news. Yeah. I don't have to stop. I don't have to strive any longer. I don't have to try to put on this persona of being good enough. I'm not good enough, but Jesus is. But he overcame. He did what I could not do. So listen to this church. I want to ask this question again. What is the story that you tell? What's the story that you tell? Because for so many of us, we just like to tell the stories of our failures, right? You talk to people, you want to believe how hard my life is, I'm going through things, i messed up, I'm not good enough, so on and so forth. What's the story you're going to tell? Because if that's the story that you're telling, what it tells me is that you based everything on yourself beforehand. And so when it comes crumbling down, you got nowhere to stand. But when I base my life on Jesus Christ and his righteousness, when I build my life on the firm foundation, I build my life on the fact that he did not sin, that he did what I couldn't do. So Hebrews continues, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time. Why? Because he overcame. Because he overcame. And so, listen, listen, listen. Practically, Harrison. So, so what do I do in trials, temptations? Like, what's the practical? Go to Jesus. Go to the one that overcame. The reason we don't go in the midst of trials, temptations is because we don't feel like we're good enough. We don't feel like we can. Because I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be like this. But, but Hebrew says, guess what? Jesus knows how you feel. He's been there. And so you can go and approach him confidently. he's full of grace. He's full of truth. And so what that means is I can flip the script on my life. I can begin to tell different details in my story. I don't have to talk about all the bad things that are happening. I talk about the God that I served that overcame, that will not leave me empty-handed. Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher, he said it like this. He said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. And so what that means, he's saying every single thing in my life, all those hard things, all those waves that knock me down, he's like, I used to call them obstacles. He's like, but now I look at the place they throw me and they just throw me to the rock of ages, who is Jesus. So I've learned to kiss the wave. I flipped the script. The difference is in the details. It's in the details. And Jesus gives every single one of us the ability to change the narrative because he did what you could not do. Can we just stand for a second, church? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed right now in this place. I want to give people the opportunity to respond. Because I believe right here, right now, this is a moment that Jesus wants to flip your script. He doesn't want us to think the way that we've been thinking, live the way that we've been living. He wants us to live in freedom and grace. And so maybe you're in this place and you've never given your life to Jesus. Or maybe you're in this place and you've been serving yourself. You've been serving religion. You've been been trying to do things yourself. But today you're saying, I want to serve Jesus. And maybe you don't know fully yet what that means. But it's like, Harrison, I want to experience that life-changing power. If that's you this morning, I just want to give you the opportunity to respond. So with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you, I'm just going to gonna ask you to raise your hand right now. Every, every head is bowed, every eyes closed. If you want to give your life to Jesus, you want to experience his goodness, just show me your hand. Just show me your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, you see every single heart. You see every single hand in this place, Jesus. I pray that today we can just experience your goodness, your grace, Lord. I pray for every person that's made a decision outwardly. In their heart, that they want to follow you, God. I pray that today they take that step. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening to that message. We hope that you were encouraged and inspired. Hey, if you want more information, if you've decided to follow Jesus, we encourage you to head over to kingdomchurch.ca right now and connect with us. We can't wait to get to know you. Until next time, take care.